Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy and I am your host. On this week's episode, we're talking the Queen and the Monarchy. The UK and the British Commonwealth officially said goodbye to Queen Elizabeth II this week as her funeral was held. From mourning to outright celebration, the passing of the longest reigning monarch in British history is evoking all manner of reactions. Is she to be remembered as a woman of virtue and faith, or is she to be remembered as the figurehead of colonialism? So join myself, Andy, Steve, and Wes as we come together to debrief the reactions of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II and to reflect on the British monarchy. But before we get to that, I want to let you know about something we got coming up this Sunday. On September 25th, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, on Zoom, the AC Literary Expedition is returning. Freedom of conscience. It sounds like an abstract concept, but Canadians have recently been confronted with its growing importance, from government mandates to the right to protest and civil disobedience. People are realizing why it's important to protect the fundamental freedom guaranteed by the Canadian Charter. Is it ethical to provide or receive doctor-assisted suicide? What exactly are physicians being asked to do? Why do some object, and why does it matter? The AC Literary Expedition is back to explore these questions and more. Hear from two doctors regarding what's at stake, not only for them, but for all Canadians. Check out any of the recommended resources on our event page and join us on Sunday, September 25th for a time of learning, discussion, and asking questions. The AC Leadership Summit is back on October 28th to the 30th, 4 p.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The Leadership Summit seeks to bring together aspiring Christian leaders from across the West Coast for an incredible weekend to empower, equip, and engage. This is an opportunity for young professionals aged 19 to 30 to meet one another and grow together as Christian leaders. Join us in the beauty of BC's coastal mountains where you can enjoy fellowship and growth at Sasquatch Mountain Resort. Some of the questions we'll be looking at are, how do I lead through adversity? How do I live counterculturally by overcoming addiction to pop culture? So make sure you sign up today because spots are limited. Visit apologeticscanada.com slash leadership summit BC to learn more and apply. That's all for me. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the AC podcast. My name is Troy and I'm here with the full team today. And we are, I think most of us at least are enjoying the fall weather the change of seasons, at least in BC, Andy and I are having a great time. I don't know about you guys. How you guys doing? Well, there was a frost advisory out last night in my <laughs> neck of the woods, and it was one degree above zero this morning. So I'm a little depressed at the moment. Thankfully, mm. the sun is out. That that I like about Alberta. <laughs> Lots of sun. Yeah. I call it the Alberta death clock. It, it's that time of year <laughs> when you step outdoors and all of a sudden you realize if I stay here, I'll die. It's like this clock just starts <laughs> to count down to your death. Yeah, I'm not used to, like, when I was in BC, I was like, I can do whatever I want, however long I want outside. Mm. Here is a bit of a different story. <laughs> so what you're saying is you used to be a sinner, and um, now you're paying for it. <laughs> well, we're going to get into today's topic. We're talking about the, the queen and uh, the royal monarchy. Uh, for those of you who may not know, on September 8th, Queen Elizabeth II passed away peacefully in her home. And if you've paid any attention to the news or narratives or you know anything about the British monarchy, there, there's a lot of mixed feelings and reviews in, in regards to her, her time as queen. And so we're going to get into uh, a variety of those things today. But uh, I guess I'd just love to start the, the, the conversation with just how how is your guys' experience with you know, uh, knowing about Canada being under the British monarchy for a time or our relationship to the queen. How has it been for you guys growing up? I was thinking about this the other day because all of us on the AC team currently, uh, none of us were born in Canada. Oh, yeah, I was just, th th I was just thinking that too, Wes. That's so true. Yeah, yeah Andy is a born American. Steve's a born Korean. Uh, Troy, you're a Jamaican. And I was, of all things, born in Pakistan. Well, um, although. Shows. I'm, I know, right? Yeah. I'm sure the listeners can uh, pick that up in my, my voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do think it's interesting that, you know, we all have uh, it's kind of that, that heritage. Although, you know what, Troy, the other day I was reading, when uh, Canada came into Confederacy, when it became its own thing, 
um, there was a discussion with the crown of uniting Jamaica and Canada. Did you know that? No. That would have been yeah, awesome, Jam- sort of. The Jamaica <laughs> at one point was going to be like a subset of of Canada, kind of like Hawaii is with the U.S., but it, it all it never ended up happening. But I mean, and this was a long time ago, right? Um, so I, yeah, all that crazy. to say, <laughs> uh, all of us are uniquely Canadian residing. Um, although uh, I was, you know, born Canadian, my my parents are both Canadian citizens, but none of us were from Canada from our inception. Mm-hmm. Which I think, you know, has a, definitely plays a part, although. I mean, Steve, how old were you when you came to Canada? I had just turned 14. Oh, okay, that's pretty late, here. man. And what about you, Wes? Yeah, I was, I was quite a bit younger than that because um, I, I was here for grade one. So, so that, you, uh, got, you got m- your education then in Canada. So would you, Troy, right? Yep, yep. Because I think that shapes quite a bit of the way mm-hmm. that you see uh, something like a monarchy, because I'm, I'm telling you right now, as an American, my education uh, had a lot to say about <laughs> monarchies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I rem- I just remember elementary school. Every single morning, it was "God Save the Queen." We sang that every single morning, and I honestly had no idea as to why. Ever, it was just we were singing it, and you're supposed to do it. And then at some point, they, they got rid of it solely because we said, God, <laughs> save the queen. Because we said, God, save the queen. And that was, that was when they were really starting to remove anything, re- well, I don't want to say religious, anything Christian sounding mm-hmm. out, of, um, out of the verbiage within the school. And so we stopped singing that. But my relationship to, I guess, learning about the queen always had to do with just she was this, it, it just felt like she was this giant entity who every, every time she came to visit the country, everyone rolled out the red carpet. And I, and I actually lived in, I grew up in a city called Regina. And so we were directly named after her. So she would come, there was a a very, she had her own specific uh, suite at Hotel Regina. And it was like the city shut down when the queen was coming because we were literally named after her. And so there was always this reverence, but still never fully understood monarchy or or any of that sort of stuff growing up yeah for me i mean i i never really kind of grew up with a queen right like or a king there there was by the time i was born in south korea there was no monarchy anymore although monarchy was still uh, a pretty fresh thing in people's memories so my grandparents were born in the 1920s and by this time the sort of the Korean monarchy had been dissipated, right? Because of the the annexation by Japan. And so the Japanese government at the time, Imperial Japan, I should say, um, kind of took the royal families and just kind of took them all over to Japan, to other places. And then after that, they, uh, the when we became a republic, the president actually decisively like chose not to bring the royal families that are kind of scattered all abroad back to Korea for the fear that this might reestablish monarchy. And by this time, Korea had really become democratic. And so there was some fear towards monarchy. But at the same time, we learn in history class all about the Korean monarchy and often very favorable favorable towards the monarchy. Like, for example, one king in particular in the 1400s, known for having created the Korean script, which has become a real distinct cultural marker for Koreans. Um, So very positive. But certainly when my family moved to Canada, it was our view of Canada was kind of like the US, but with better social safety net. That's how we viewed it. So there was not really this consciousness of actually there is a queen there. There is queen of Canada. It wasn't really a thought in my mind when my family moved here. It was only later in my adult years I really reflected on what the monarchy represents here, uh, both politically and lately also historically. Mm. So it was more of an adopted thing for me. 
Yeah. There's always been this sort of family tree that's my my grandmother did a a lot of uh, like genealogy stuff um, with kind of figuring out how far the huffs go back. And so I always grew up with this uh, this conceptualized uh, idea of the Huffs, who they came over from Europe to the U.S. In, in Michigan. And in the late 1700s, they actually left because they were loyalists to the crown. So during the uh, the Revolutionary War, my family historically were aligned with the crown. And so they ended up coming to Canada, to Ontario, uh, way back in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And even when, you know, I spent a a portion of my my childhood in Jordan when my parents were missionaries, and Jordan was a British protectorate in, I believe, up until the 1940s. And so there's a lot of even British colonial uh, crown influence in in Jordan. They have, you know, the the stamp of kind of that, that Britishism on them within things like their education system and even the Jordanian dinar is largely on par with the British pound for a number of reasons, but the, the British influence is there. So I I feel like I have, you know, a number of connections to uh, the the British crown. And even uh, above me, um, I have the old British ensign flag uh, pinned to my wall. I just, you know, to remember the kind of heritage of the fact that, you know, there's, there's a, a background to our Canadian context that goes back to being part of the tradition of British jurisprudence. It's really interesting because like, I want to always hold people in the, in the best light I possibly can. And I, you know, and and people can have their own personal opinions about whatever, whatever they want. But I, I gotta say as, as a, as a Jamaican, as a, as a visible minority, the spaces that I, I walk in, there's a lot of people that are very happy about her passing because the royal family to this day for a lot of Africa, uh, a lot of the Caribbean islands, that family is still a is is still a symbol of colonialism and are still feeling the effects and the pressures, even places that have been emancipated or they they have their own independence. There's still aspects of British rule with their trading, with their governing that it's it's really like if they feel like if Britain really wanted to, they could just take it all back again. Just the the conversation around it makes it really, really difficult. I know for me, because I mean, as someone who was a, you know, as her being a person of a symbol of faith, how do you, how do you reconcile those things? Yeah. And, and I, I'm definitely sympathetic to that because I think that there are a lot of wrongs that have been done. At the same time, Queen Elizabeth II of all people was the the ruler that saw the most decolonization of any other monarch in history. Mm-hmm. And I think that there there's also something to give credence to that. I mean, England abolished slavery. It was the first country in the world to abolish slavery um, with individuals like William Wilberforce uh, and um, others uh, long before the U.S. did. And so I think, I mean, it's this tricky balance, right? And I think we also feel this as Canadians in the sense that we have a lot to be proud of with a country that has pulled so many people out of abject poverty and given them new opportunities with immigration and so on and so forth. But at the exact same time, we have this very marred and this very patchy history with our own indigenous people. And that still exists today with uh, Native Reserves having, you know, subpar, even, you know, clean, cleanly water to drink, mm-hmm. um, if if any clean, cleanly water to drink, right? And, and I think there's this, uh, there's this tension that does exist. And so, uh, I, I totally get what you're saying, um, Troy, with that, because uh, she is a symbol head. She she is someone, she's not like a politician who represents the state. The queen was the state, you know? Yeah. And so, and in a lot of ways, I think she really uh, wore that well. And um, the uh, the monarchy, the royal family, uh, generally, um, what, what the royal family itself was not a devoid of scandal, but the queen <laughs> in and of herself was largely d- devoid of scandal and, and rose above it, which is certainly something to say for someone who was in power for 70 years. But uh, I certainly understand in yeah. its full complexity what you're saying, Troy. Yeah. I have to say, uh, as an American, um, my upbringing was decisively opposed to the monarchy. Mm-hmm. And 
as a you know as an american your education really shapes the way that you see the world and as many people note about americans they're they're often very limited in the kind of history that they tell and even the the geography that that they tell like most of what you learn is about america and most of the history that you learn is american history and at least when I was a kid, it's, I can't speak to this now because I have no idea what, if anything's being taught in schools today in the U.S. <laughs> I, <don't, Anything. laughs> I have no idea what's happening in the school system today in the U.S. Uh, and I'm sure it depends upon the school. I'm sure it depends upon the state. I'm sure it depends upon the area. But back then, it was pretty universal. Like, it was very much an indoctrination into the American way of seeing the world, the way of seeing, you know, culture in particular with regards to the monarchy and with regards to the UK, they were seen as the enemy. And so pretty much everything you were taught in school, at least that I was taught in school was opposed uh, to the monarchy, was opposed to uh, colonization, to the, to the UK. And, and I think for, you know, good reason, there were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of hurt that was done. Uh, there were a lot of people that lost their lives and, and it wasn't that far down people's lineage, you know, that they knew people who, uh, or had ancestors who had died. Like it's still, it, it was still raw, at least when I was in school, uh, the way that, that the U.S. saw uh, the U.K., it would be curious to know, you know, if you did like a survey, uh, how that's changed in the U.S. now. And I bet it would depend upon the demographic with regard, like the age demographic uh, on how how they would feel. But I think Queen, Queen Elizabeth won over a lot of people, even in the U.S. And even as like Netflix and others have, you know, you got TV shows now and movies, uh, you know, I for a lot of people... I, I think that the monarchy's become entertainment. I think for most people, their reference to the monarchy really comes down to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Like that's that's literally what everyone seems to be talking about. Like, does she or really? Or Princess Diana was huge, of course. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. And it, it, yeah, it's become like this soap opera. I mean, they've done their own TV show now. Like they have The Crown, which I remember starting, but I didn't end up finishing but i'm sure the the screenwriters are going crazy right now trying to figure out <laughs> we have an ending but <laughs> but yeah I, I i think if you were to ask a lot of people that's really the most of what i've seen which is super strange is wondering how prince harry and megan are responding to it all after they left their um their duties or responsibilities no longer living there because of all the the family stuff that was going on there which is just really intriguing because that's another one of those things that they try to use to blot the queen. But I'm like, this lady was ruling for, for a very long time. If her family dynamics are a little jacked up, they probably have. I hate to say they have to be, but you can't be the ruler of all these, the Commonwealth and all these places and have absolutely everything going perfectly in your life. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me that we do look at the monarchy. I, I mean, I kind of hesitate to call it British monarchy. I mean, yes, they're there, but also the queen is the queen of Canada, right? She's the queen of Commonwealth. And so in Canada, we call her queen of Canada. In Australia, they call her queen of Australia, so on and so forth. Um, but I, I think you're right. There is a, um, a lot of it has come down to like celebrity. I remember when Kate Middleton married prince william that was like a lot of americans went nuts over it because yeah. they grew up with the story of cinderella right and there was some you're seeing the fairy tale become reality in a sense and there was a lot of kind of entertainment value there having said that um especially for a lot of canadians we don't really um i'm sure it's the same way in australia and new zealand or whatever but we don't really think about the impact <laughs> that uh, the monarchy had or still has, right? I mean, 
for goodness sake, you take your passport and you open it. What does it say, right? In the name of Her Majesty, Royal, Royal Majesty the Queen, you know, we ask. So even your passport really derives its effectiveness from the monarchy. Um, and so there, there is, yes, we talk about how the queen or now the king is really just a figurehead, doesn't have hold any real like governmental power or things like that. But I guess you do have to think about what it means for you to have a king or a queen, like even as a figurehead, like what does that really mean, right? What is the place of tradition? Uh, for your country and in your life, what is the place of? Because we think of tradition as this sort of, you know, just dead rules kind of a thing, right? Because I've seen some news articles about how the UK citizens are complaining about spending so much money on a funeral, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and kind of seeing this in a very kind of a reductive way, I would say. Um, you know what the answer to that is, Steve? What? The answer to that is uh, to ask whose face is on the money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Render render unto right. the monarchy. <laughs> right. That's the Jesus <laughs> answer, right? <laughs> yeah. But but that thought did cross my mind. Like, what is the place of tradition um, and, and monarchy? Uh, and I'll say this one last thing. I just find it interesting that Queen Elizabeth II was so popular, right? Like, I, I mean, there are other monarchies around the world. But I don't know the names of any of them, really, except Queen Elizabeth II or King Charles. Um, mm. I wonder why that is, right? Like, even even in Korea, let's say, like, everybody knows who Queen Elizabeth II is, but they have no idea who the monarch is in Sweden, let's say. Yeah, I mean, even related to that kind of connection with uh, the fairy taleism. Uh, I looked up because I remember reading years ago this letter that C.S. Lewis had written with a, a friend of his, Mary Shelburne, who at the time resided in the United States. And she had, in a letter to him, expressed uh, this was in regard to actually Queen Elizabeth's coronation. Uh, she had you know, been coronated, um, crowned the queen during Lewis's lifetime. And um, I just want to read to you what Lewis writes back, because I think this is really interesting. He says, you know, over here, people did not get the fairy tale feeling about the coronation. What impressed most who saw it was the fact that the queen herself appeared to be quite, quite overwhelmed by the sacramental side of it all. Hence, in the spectators, a feeling, one hardly knows how to describe it, of awe and pity, pathos and mystery. The pressing of the huge heavy crown on that small young head becomes a sort of symbol of the situation of humanity itself. Humanity called by God to be his self-regent and high priest on earth, yet feeling so inadequate. As if he said, in my inexorable love, I shall lay upon the dust that you are, the glories and dangers and responsibilities beyond your understanding. Do you see what I mean? One has missed the whole point unless one feels that we have all been crowned and that the coronation is somehow a splendid and tragic splendor of us all. And I think that I I found that really interesting um, in terms of his kind of bringing it back to a picture. Because actually, if you read other things Lewis says, he wasn't actually that positive about the monarchy. I mean, he he fought in the war uh, in World War I, and he kind of held this... Uh, tension between appreciating the the history of the monarchy, but really being um, conflicted about it. Even actually, um, Lewis's less known brother, Warren, was a French royal historian and had published seven books, a number of which were about the French monarchy. But I think that sense that as the queen is being crowned, she is this kind of representative of us and representing humanity with our weakness and our frailty and yet somehow is bestowed by God the responsibility to rule and to serve. That sense that the queen being an Adam figure might be, you know, a little bit shocking. But there's this concept in biblical anthropology, which is a doctrine of the human condition, called federal headship, where Adam stands in and represents humanity in the fall. And that's why we inherit our sinful condition. I think Lewis's words kind of encapsulate that idea. Because the queen, when she was, when she came into power, she was 27 years old, and she's taking on the responsibility of a headship of a country. 
you know, Queen Elizabeth was just 11 years old when she watched her father, King George, being crowned king at London's Westminster Abbey in 1937, I believe. And then, you know, only in 1953, her own coronation took place. And I think as a Canadian, like you said, uh, um, Steve, as a member of the British Commonwealth, which since 1867 has been a parliamentary democracy, but still remains a constitutional monarchy with, you know, the queen on our money, the queen on our passports, and even the governor general in the House of Parliament standing in as this liaison between the Senate and the crown and representing the queen and now the subsequent king as our head of state and sovereign. I think as someone who lives in a country where that's the reality, there's something about the queen in my lifetime that's unique in that the queen represents the UK and the Commonwealth in a way that, like I said before, elected officials, they just can't. An elected yeah. official, they kind of play a role within an institution, but the queen is the institution. Yeah. And now the queen's dead. Yeah. And so I think that that started to help me in sort of processing, okay, you know, the queen's funeral, what does this mean? How can I think of this particular cultural moment in a way that can help me as a citizen of Canada and the earth place myself? I think what that sort of uh, coming to terms with mortality and the fact that our nation is finite, our, our existence is finite, and the queen as this federal head, that's finite too. And I think we can kind of see with, um, you know, there's that passage in Job, which talks about uh, God making nations rise and fall. And, you know, understanding that and in, in, in how this helps us maybe kind of come to terms with that. Yeah. There's a there's a passage in in Psalms 33 that it always kind of stuck with me in it but it definitely it definitely speaks a lot louder right now. Psalms 33:16 it just says the the king or you can think the queen is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The warhorse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And I think this speaks to both sides of the conversation, regardless, because I think we're also, we're in a society that seems to have an understanding of kingship, right? Because of people like the queen, because of like you're saying, to a certain degree, government officials, right? But I think this, this fandemonium, this celebrity culture that we're in can cause us to look at people with a rose set of glasses, but at the same time, make it, make ourselves into our own gods and kings and, and, and whatever, so much so that we think way too highly of ourselves or our own intellect in that, we could look at someone like the, the queen and feel like we're in a position to cast judgment just because I saw something in the news or, or, or even historically what she was required to do versus what I've been required to do. I think this passage just can be really sobering that it doesn't matter how equipped you feel, you are not saved by the strength of your resource or the, or the, the status you hold within a society. It, it really comes down to the Lord. And ultimately, one day we're all going to be we're going to be standing before him. Andy Andy this past weekend was was speaking at an event um, called Praxis. Uh, or sorry, at, at a, Andy this past weekend was speaking at an event we did called Identity Crisis in Kelowna. And one of the things he said really stood out to me. He said, "If you were to look at all these really wealthy people, celebrities, or whatever throughout history that have passed away, when they're on their deathbed, they don't surround themselves with their riches and their status and everything." They surround themselves with people that love them, they, the, the people that care the most about them, at least, <laughs> at least people who can go to their grave with a conscience anyway. And I think that really speaks to it. You know, I, don't, I, I can't imagine that when the queen was, was on, in her final moments that she was concerned about the monarchy. You know, maybe she was, but I think more than that, it was, I've done, I've done what I was supposed to do. I've done the best of what I could do. I love my children. I love my family. And 
I'm ready. You know, you're ready to go. It's this thing of just like at the end of the day, we're we're all going to be called to account at one point or another. And so it's not for me to cast judgment or try and make the final call or whether or not the queen will be at the gates or <laughs> high-fiving Betty White because I'm guaranteed she's in heaven. Um, <laughs> we have no idea. But <laughs> but I just, I definitely... The theology been, of Troy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the the uh, personal opinions of Troy do not necessarily represent the broader <laughs> view of Apologetics Canada and or associated organizational... <laughs> Yeah, we have that. There's your buffer, everyone. Um, but just uh, let's just be sober. I just think it's important we be sober minded in these things. You know, we can't. It's so easy to slide into idolatry. Well, speaking of idolatry and who you worship, I, I think that's one of the things that, that always makes, you know, looking at monarchies so emotionally charged is because people are broken. And as yeah. people have power, they often abuse that power. And, and so in that regard, uh, I think Queen Elizabeth is unique in that I think a lot of people would agree that she did, didn't necessarily abuse her power, although some are, are obviously speaking out because, yes, as you mentioned, uh, Wes, you know, she, uh, there were a lot of colonies that, that, that were, I don't know, how, how would you call that? Decolonized. Yeah, decolonized. You know, that during during her reign, but there's many more that would say, no, she should have done more. She could have done more. And there were atrocities that happened, you know, under her her reign in places mm -hmm. like Kenya and, and elsewhere. It reminds me of, uh, of Scripture, and it reminds me of two things. First of all, it reminds me of our own position as image bearers, and that we we are God's representative uh, on on this earth, and to to do our best to represent uh, God well, that we reflect that image well that we've been created in, and and realizing that we are broken vessels and we do that poorly and we often uh, fail. However, the one who Scripture tells us has been crowned with honor. And as Hebrews says, shining greatness uh, is Jesus. I, I, I love uh, the, this piece of scripture here. It's found in Hebrews 2, starting verse 9. It says, but, do, uh, but we do see Jesus. For a little while, he took a place that was not as important as the angels, but God had loving favor for everyone. He had Jesus suffer death on a cross for all of us. Then, because of Christ's death on a cross, God gave him the crown of honor and shining greatness. It, it's, it's interesting to me that, and I've, said, I've talked on this before, but so many people forget that Jesus' name, Jesus Christ, is in fact a title. Uh, Christ is a Hebraic way of saying crowned one. Of course, they say anointed. Uh, but He's the king, but unlike other kings, uh, this one's good. Well, and I think that's where, as Christians, we can understand that, you know, at the exact same time, the, the, the Christian ideological concept is that we understand that the, the best form of government is a theocratic monarchy in that Jesus is king and he's ruling and reigning. But at the exact same time, we can also understand democracy in that Jesus intercedes and stands on our behalf. And you can make too much and too little about both those concepts. But I think at minimum, we can see those ideas playing out in the, the, the finite kind of examples that we look to in our, uh, our inadequate human examples of rulership and government. And I think this is what, um, Ken, I was, I was talking about before when, you know, an elected official is required to be partisan, but a monarch is not. And they, they can have a unique outsider perspective. Now, whether that's actually how it works um, in practice with something like the British monarchy, we can argue back and forth. But at face value, a politician, they have a set of policies and an ideological agenda. And there's an activist agenda to some degree 
they're constantly trying to vie for in the populace's attention and vote. But I think there's something unique about a monarch like Elizabeth, who's not, who, at least in my sort of perspective, was never attempting to fight for those affections outwardly due to her station. And in a very inadequate way, um, like you said, I think these examples of human rulership, they can give us pictures uh, and all, I know I, I, both Troy and Steve have said, you know, analogies fall short um, to some degree or another. They're always going to be inadequate. But I think we can see in someone like Queen Elizabeth uh, very inadequately um, that rulership and especially monarchies can be a very, very good thing when the ruler is good and a very, very bad thing when the ruler is bad. And as Christians, we understand that our ruler is perfect. And that gives us hope that all of the uh, atrocities and um, inadequacies and uh, terrible things done on this earth by rulers all over the place, whether uh, politically elected or uh, being crowned as monarchs, um, those are those can be both pictures of the glory of God, but also examples of how the glory of God is not. And I, I think that this moment, this cultural moment can also give us a picture of that. I think that yeah. that's one of the things that people appreciated, by the way, about Queen Elizabeth was <clears throat> that that she was willing to be quite open about her faith. Mm-hmm. And 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 from what I even experienced, seemed to be rather genuine. Uh, I, as many as you guys know, I did my doctoral work in the UK, in Scotland, and traveled around the UK. Uh, while, I, while when I would be out there. And I remember one time in particular, Nancy and I were out in the Scottish Highlands traveling around on one Sunday morning, and we went by a church. And so we stopped by this church at, to, go, to go in, and we were, we were stopped by a police officer. And this, just a, this was just a small little church out in the countryside. You know, and we were stopped by a police officer on the, you know, as we were there in the parking lot. And he said, listen, uh, you know, do you want to go to church today? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not sure. <laughs> and he goes, and we're like, what's up? And he goes, well, the royal family's in the church. Like, uh, like the queen's in there. And if you're going to church, like you can go. But if you're just, if you're just playing the tourist, then we're asking you to, to, to not go to church today. Or don't, don't go into the church, please. And I thought it was very interesting because one of the things I learned is that when when she would attend church or when the royal family would attend church, they did not want it to impede other people attending church and they didn't want to make it into a spectacle. They just wanted to attend church and and they didn't want to draw a bunch of attention. They didn't announce where they would be going or, you know, uh, what would be going on or try not to disrupt the service. And so it's interesting. Nancy and I really respected that. And we were like, you know what? We're not here to go to church today. If we were, we would have head in. Uh, but we said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to respect uh, what, what they've asked and, and took our tourist uh, cameras elsewhere. You know, it's, it's interesting when I read some of the opinions that are coming out about Queen Elizabeth's passing. What I see is that Certainly, when there are certain grievances that are being aired out, like the history of colonization and and the brutality of the empire, um, you know, and um, those kinds of things, I find that all the negative things that I read about has to do with the station that she is in. It's her capacity as a public figure, but all the positive things that I hear. Uh, have more to do with her virtue as a person. Um, so things like her faith, not that, you know, faith is a solely private thing, but that's how people typically see it today, right? <clears throat> so her, her, her faith and her character, her dignity, those things. And quite honestly, like for me, I fi- find those things attractive. Uh, in fact, I, I believe Voltaire, Right, who was a really key figure in the European Enlightenment, he was a big fan of Confucius. Why? Because he was living during the, the age of absolute monarchs and people were getting sick of all the 
abuses from the monarchy and all of their decadence and all that, all those things. And Confucius actually taught that a ruler should rule with virtue. And, and that's why Voltaire was such a fan of, of Confucius, mm-hmm. um, because we recognize that a, a king lacking virtue. I mean, when we think of King David, right? Yes, he was a fantastic ruler, but it, it almost kind of his affair with Bathsheba and then how he basically uh, got Uriah murdered, right? It leaves such a mark almost to the point of, man, like, I really liked you, man. Up until, right? Um, so I think virtue is so important. And, and I think people recognize that virtue and they're not willing to really throw the queen under the bus, you know, like wholesale um, because, because of that, because of what, yes, there is, this is the burden of leadership. She represents something, all the good mm-hmm. and the ill of what her country did um, and is currently doing. But at the same time, there is the person of Elizabeth where virtue really shines through. And as one, um, I guess, professor emeritus now, I don't think he's teaching anymore, um, he, he goes so far as to say that she was the only heirloom the hooligans declined to throw away because like, she represented, even though she stood almost always at odds with what the public wanted on, on many issues, she still kind of presented herself with dignity and things like that. So that's why it makes me a little uncomfortable when I see King Charles throwing a small fit over a pen that was leaking, right? I don't know if you guys seen that, but he was like, he was super frustrated. He's like, you know, oh, I hate this bloody thing. Kind of thing, right? like, it, it happens every time. Um, <laughs> so when I see that, I mean, I don't want to like throw him under the bus. Too late. Um, just too late. Yeah. <laughs> too late, man. <laughs> You just threw his name. You literally threw him under the bus right there. Didn't I? I done did it. Um, Like, I don't want to write him off completely based on that one incident, but it does make me a little uncomfortable when I see who is my king, literally, right? As a Canadian citizen, he is my king, whether I like it or not. Earthly king, Troy. Earthly king. (laughs) Earthly, um, yes. Apologetics Canada does not, whatever Wes said, I'll clip it in here. We don't agree with you. (laughs) But Steve, um, couldn't you also, you know, extrapolate on that and say, you know, there's there's something to be said about that just from a human perspective, that each of us have our own positions of power. It could be in in a family, it can be in work, it could be, you know, in, in various capacities. And how are you going to... uh, you know, navigate that, that, that yeah. power. And I think she did, she had a lot of power and nav- navigated it fairly gracefully. And yeah. I think, mm-hmm. uh, did have, um, uh, was a person of character. And by the way, there's a great story of her that was told by a bodyguard where she was out for a walk. Did you guys hear this one? Oh yeah. I yeah. Did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, and the tourist comes up and asks, uh, Hey, you know, t- starts talking to her, says, Hey, have you ever met the queen? And She's like, well, I haven't met the queen, but Dick here, name of her bodyguard. He's like, he has. Uh, and I forget, what did, he, what did he say? She can be a little bit choosy, but she has a great sense of humor, something like that. Yeah, something, <laughs> something awesome. like that. The best part, though, is what happens next, right? She's like, well, I got to get a photo of this. And so she hands the camera to, to the queen it says, can you get a picture of me and this guy who's met the queen, right? Like, the, the, of course, she doesn't realize the bodyguard. That's but so good. Yeah, the bodyguard That's was so laughing good. about this. Just like, man, one day this person's going to realize. Because they never told her. And they never That's told so the tourists. Well, and I think that does play into how down to earth she was. I mean, like, I think she really was a person who held a lot of power. And I think people would actually be surprised. She is a state figurehead, but the queen actually holds, if you look it up, a lot more power than we might realize in terms of her ability to veto political decisions. And she didn't. And, you know, through the course of 15 prime ministers, everyone from Winston Churchill to the the most recent one, Liz (laughs) Truss, who was only sworn in, I believe, like a couple of weeks ago, um, there there is something to what you were talking about, Steve, in, in terms of her her character in that she could have done things and could have made uh, proclamations and statements uh, with that authority that she held, and, and she didn't. 
And um, when you were talking, what it made me think of was, uh, you know, this, this discussion, isn't it, isn't it a little bit silly to spend all this money on a funeral? But part of me wonders, what else should a nation spend its money on other than the sense of unification and patriotism? And I think that, you know, I, there's probably appropriate pushback on this, but the idea of coming together to acknowledge our commonalities as a nation, and in this case of the Queen's funeral, and the mortality of the nation and its figurehead, uh, I think um, there's something to that. I think there's a good in recognizing that our current nation states are not eternal, nor should they be, and that this grand uh, display of tradition uh, is is something that can bring together a lot of nations which um, may disagree on a whole host of things, including the state of the monarchy. But that, I mean, part of me wonders, well, there, what else should we spend our money on other than uh, spending it on a symbol of our unification? You know, Steve, I, I sorry, Steve. Wes, uh, I got to agree with you, man. This is actually something I've been thinking a lot about lately. And, and that is, we all, we're all aware of how divided we are as a nation and, and just the cultural, culture wars that are going on, not just in Canada, but, but all over, including the UK. And the need to be, to, to be unified at some level and in various ways that, that often are just, are just not taking place. And particularly, um, even just being unified patriotically, uh, is something growing up in the United States that was taken very seriously. And I must say that this was one of the things that was most shocking to me when I came to Canada was how little patriotism uh, takes place here in Canada. I would say there's more patriotism to hockey than there is to the nation, <laughs> you know, and, and that there's that cr creates a lot of division. This is also something I've been thinking about lately too. And I, I don't mean to, you know, get, uh, super political here, but I find it fascinating that we celebrate, you know, the the nation for one day on Remembrance Day, but we have ideologies like the LGBTQ plus that celebrate for an entire month, and and I, I think to me that's quite shocking, and just to to see the the you know the other things that we'll celebrate with various you know. Religions, it, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm making sense here, but there's just so much division that yeah. I think we're we're just desperate for something that can be at, at all unifying right now within the culture wars. Am I am I making sense? Oh, apparently, because now everybody wants to yeah. talk. <laughs> no, you're you're making you're making perfect sense. I mean, just briefly touching on Canada. One of the things about Canada is we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit because we celebrate our diversity so much, right? I think it the difference between i would say specifically like america and canada is man i'm a proud american and there's people fighting for the american title even people that are receiving injustice they're like man i'm an american like why are you treating me like this but in canada if you go and ask the average person like hey where are you from they're not going to say oh i'm canadian they'll pro like unless uh, being very honest unless they're from the white community more often than not they're going to say, oh, I'm from this country. I'm from this country. I'm from this country. And even the way you look at a lot of our major cities, there, there's like Little Italy. There's Chinatown. There's all these areas where the culture, like you go to downtown Vancouver, Chinatown, the bold writing is in Chinese. And then the small writing is English, right? Like you, we celebrate our diversity so much so that it's easy to cherry pick all the things we hate about the country, which is ironic. But I just like, I don't, I, when it comes to all these rulers and things like that, I mean, like the, the Bible is so, it's so clear, you know, like first Samuel eight, like, it's just like, I don't know why some people expect things to go any other way. You know what I mean? Like if, especially as believers, why we are, are surprised when, if someone goes the wrong way, but like you guys have been saying, and even during this podcast, I've had to, there's always levels to it where you got to reconcile yourself where I'm like, man, I didn't hear enough good things about the queen. And that may have something to do with the demographic I come from, the, the audience that I'm around. I didn't hear all these fun stories about the queen. I just heard about 
colonization. I just heard about the racism amongst her children. And I think that that's really important to note for all of us that like, unless you're really getting a well-rounded view, like you're probably only, you're definitely only seeing one side. Well, and I think to relate to what you were saying, uh, Andy, is I think Canadians are often hailed as being polite, but I think we're actually just timid. Passive. And I think we're this, yeah, passivity and timidity are more of an underlying kind of concept than a politeness actually is. Yes. And we're this interesting dynamic between the Americans to our south and uh, the British across the pond, who we still have a lot of uh, affinity towards and with um, in our heritage. And I think this plays out in examples like um, our music culture or our film culture in that if you want to make it big in Canada, you go to the States. And even though we have film awards and music awards, they're kind of treated as if they're quaint. Like, oh, look, so-and-so got an award for their good singing. Whereas like if they go to the States and they, you know, get an Emmy or they get a whatever, you know, award, then it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Jim Carrey, he's Canadian. Justin Bieber, he's Canadian. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah, otherwise yeah. we're kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so likes to be in movies. And I think that's to our detriment. And um, even um, just before I'll, I'll hand it over to, to uh, Steve, because I know you want to say something. Uh, just to push back on what you were saying, because I, I totally agree with you in one sense, Andy, but in another sense, I think there is something to celebrating one day. Um, I, but I get what you're saying in terms of like the LGBTQ month versus Canada Day, in that that's often the pushback on things like Christmas and Easter, where people who are anti-Christmas and Easter say, well, why, we'll just celebrate it all year. And I we do. <laughs> we do every Sunday. But I think there is something to say, you know, let's pick out this one day and we'll use this as a touch point to say, you know, we are proud in the good sense. And we are are um, happy about where we live, despite all of, you know, the complexity that exists there. No, I uh, just to say to that, Wes, that I, I agree with you. I think I think it is good that we celebrate it. I'm just amazed that we will celebrate other things far more. Uh, right. Yeah, fair enough. Right. I that, think it's based on that, what you can capitalize financially, right? There's an element to that. Yeah. I, well, there's just so much politics in it. The problem is, though, uh, not to go down this rabbit trail, is it just th there's just so much division and there's so much opportunity for yeah. division. Whereas I think the the queen is is making us reflect on what what can there be that that is an opportunity for uniting us. Because yeah. I, mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, but we're just living in this era of division that is that many of us have never seen to this degree. Even my mom, I was talking to her on the phone the other day, and she's like, man, I've been alive for a long time. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> boy, is it divided these days, right? Yeah, and I think yeah. we're all just kind of dying for something that will unify us together. You know, wherever you go, people are looking for that unity. They want unity of, of some sort. Like even in Canada, our patriotism is negative in the sense of we try to define ourselves culturally by what we're not. Namely, we're not Americans. And that's why Canadian patriotism tends to look politically a little bit more to the left, right? Things like universal health care, gun control, uh, anything that America is not, that's what we try to identify ourselves by. And it's sometimes, you know, I say this as a, as a naturalized citizen, as somebody who kind of adopted this country as my home, um, it, it's it's almost like, sorry, I I I totally lost my train of thought. There. So <laughs> I'm just going to drop that. I see you. Can we I'm please gonna, keep this I in the see podcast? You <laughs> yes. I'm going to give you one of um, these. Amen, brother. Come on. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, oh yeah. I, I I'm remember. glad to know that happens to other people than just myself. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate this. <laughs> oh, we'll keep it. We'll yeah, keep it. Appreciate this yeah. cute, humble moment. But he's back on track. He's, yeah. The train is the train's back, back on. on All right, track. here we go. You know what? I'm not back on track. I lost it again, so I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> it's really well, bleeding. And and Steve, in regard to what you were saying, I think I think there are really good examples of that um, in Canada. What was he saying? And, and I'm sorry. Really I'm bad. Sorry. I don't know. I'll, I'm, listen, I'm I'm doing my best too. Um, I'm trying try to sift through and put the puzzle pieces together. But if I put the puzzle pieces together and the picture looks like what Steve actually meant it to look like, um, in terms of that, like unity in diversity, 
uh, and even Troy alluded to this before, I think there is, like you could both look at something like Toronto, where my current office is in my church building, which is beside Little Malta and just below uh, Little Portugal. And, um, you know, Chinatown and um, Little Jamaica, they're not all that far from where I live. And at the exact same time, I saw this meme. I was trying to track it down on my phone because I sent it to a friend of mine. I couldn't find it. But it says something to the effect of like, uh, Toronto is the only place where you can stop by uh, a food truck and buy a, uh, a a shawarma burrito with a chili and curry from a Chinese man, where it's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it, there is kind of like um, that, that kind of multicultural melting pot that does exist. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I, I love Toronto, despite not necessarily being sold on being a city person. Um, but there is this multicultural aspect to it that I like to think <laughs> is a little microcosm of the kingdom of God in that many nations coming together. Um, now, of course, that's sectioned off because like I said, you know, little Malta, little Portugal, little Jamaica, they are kind of their own communities. Uh, and it's not, it's not perfectly amalgamated in kind of, that. it is um, heteronymous when you go into those communities. Uh, and, and I'm sure that that could be integrated a lot more than it is. But at the same time, there is something beautiful in, in this this microcosmal picture of, I don't know if that's a word, microcosmal, but I used it, uh, picture of Troy shaking his head, of, of how we come together and the, the nations being um, part of Canada, which in itself was a nation started by people who emigrated here, people from the United Kingdom, from France, um, from all over the place. I have to ask, Steve's got this look like he's still lost. I'm not sure, Steve. Ha are, have you, no, are you I, back, Steve? I think I'm back. Uh, what I was going to say just quickly is, uh, yeah, as a naturalized citizen, sometimes I look at fellow Canadians and what are some Canadian things? There are some very stereotypical things, right? Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. But... poutine. <laughs> that accent um coming from a, a jamaican adoptee you can figure that one right like i mean that's kind of awesome um so there, there's something like poutine maple syrup hockey oh now know, we're all, talking there but <laughs> the, go for a rip all yeah, right talk about yeah. it yeah but but in a sense like uh, i almost feel like we're almost trying too hard to hang on to the to those those few things that make us very kind of uniquely Canadian. Um, it, and so sometimes we, I, I think I, I know sometimes I have this sense of man, like it'd be just, it'd be just so relaxing in a sense to be able to say, I am this very specifically this. Right. I, and I think that's, Canadian? that's where people have the sense of I'm looking for that unity in our lives. Right, something that pulls everything together, and different people have those different things that pulls everything together in their lives, and um, and for me, like as a Christian, it's very clear. Like, let me just take it down one notch. What are the things that tie all four of us together? Right, here's a, a an American living in Canada. Here is a a missionary kid from Pakistan who's now doing his PhD at a university in Toronto and here is a Jamaican adoptee who grew up in the prairies and here is a naturalized citizen, an immigrant from South Korea, right? Well, we are all brought together. The unifying factor here is, well, there's a politics Canada. We all work for that organization. But what about on the human level? What ties all humanity together? That, that's something to think about. The queen and her passing has given us a lot to think about in regards to unity. And regardless of what may have started as colonialism and colonization, we, we really are, I would say, there is an opportunity for a change in the tide. There is an opportunity for us to um, re-educate ourselves and understand that, yeah, things may have happened in such a way, but we are in a new time. We are in a new era without making that sound so intense, but we, we have been called to unity. 
we have been called to come together. And I think that's why throughout history, you see unity get perverted and it becomes uh, such things like annihilation and trying to rule over people. But this is not new. This is, these things were not unseen by God. Um, and we, but we still, as believers, we have an opportunity to show what true unity comes from. And it's, and it's, it's unity founded on Christ. It's identity in Christ. And it starts individual and spreads into the corporate. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning into this week's podcast. As always, make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms. We are out there. And follow us on social media. Every share, every like, every comment helps us fight against the interwebs and their algorithm so that the message of the gospel, the message of giving good reasons for people to hope in Jesus, reaches as many people as possible. Lastly, make sure to go to our website and check out the event page. We have quite a few things coming up, as mentioned at the beginning of the episode. But until next time, tune in next week when we find more things to think about. And as always, love God, love people. Bye for now.